Welcome back uh, to our morning session at the uh, 2021 Cato Institute Surveillance Conference. Uh, thank you for joining us at our, our first virtual edition uh, of the Surveillance Conference. Um, for a number of years, uh, we have been featuring at the Surveillance Conference in addition to uh, traditional panels, uh, what we call flash talks, which are short 15-ish minute presentations um, by uh, scholars and uh, uh, privacy activists of uh, interesting and important uh, new uh, research on a variety of timely topics. Um, there's so much in the world of surveillance to talk about, uh, for better or worse, um, that uh, you can't fit everything into a 90-minute into a panel. Um, so I'm really pleased to introduce our, uh, our first block of three speakers, beginning with um, Julie Mao, the Deputy Director of Just Futures Law, um, who is going to talk about uh, the way uh, governments surveil and retaliate against immigration organizers based on a, a new report they've released called Targeted But Not Silence, um, which you'll be able to uh, find on their website. I'm very pleased to introduce Julie Mao. Thank you guys so much, um, and especially to Julian for the invitation to the Cato Institute Conference to talk about our report. Um, again, my name is Julie Mao. I work at Just Futures Law. A little bit quick um, and dirty about Just Futures Law, uh, we work around the intersection of tech surveillance and immigration enforcement, uh, particularly uh, you know, surveillance by DHS. Um, we are a group collective of immigrant rights, civil rights litigators and criminal defense attorneys. Um, you know, our bread and butter has been supporting the immigrant rights movement and increasingly all U.S. residents as DHS really turns to mass surveillance as the way that it meets out millions of detentions and deportations per year. Um, and in that vein, we work with a lot of grassroots organizers, uh, community members, on issues of racial profiling, immigration raids and police abuse, uh, detentions, deportations. Um, and that's really how we got to this report. We kind of didn't want to make this report, but as we began to work with immigrant rights groups around uh, defending people's rights, um, supporting folks um, in defense strategies around protests and First Amendment activities, we just saw a huge systemic retaliation um, by U.S. government agencies. Um, so a little bit about, in case people don't know about the immigrant rights movement, um, and why our partners such as Comunidad Colectiva, uh, Grassroots Leadership, uh, OCAD, Migrant Justice, La Resistancia, um, decided to do this report. Well, the immigrant rights movement is very vibrant. Um, it engages in a lot of First Am Amendment activity, as you guys might see um, from these slides. And protests and speech are one of the only, sometimes, and core tools that immigrant rights movement um, and marginalized communities can engage in uh, to exercise and um, speak out um, and change the government's conduct. Um, and so much of the immigrant rights movement has been uh, learnings from uh, the 1960s civil rights movement, black power movement, indigenous movements. And so First Amendment activity is just such a core um, way in which people organize and try to change government conduct. And so criticizing ICE and how federal government engages in 
immigration enforcement has really become unpopular speech, right? Uh, and the results of uh, that um, engaging in this type of speech, um, which has now become so uh, marginalized, under attack, and unpopular, has become the retaliation from the subject of that speech, uh, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Border Patrol, as well as we won't talk about vigilante hate groups. Um, this has happened for a very long time. It's not just under the Trump administration. However, we've really seen, um, and you'll, you'll see from some of the public records, discovery documents, and community interviews that we'll highlight in these slides, a real sort of surge in this retaliatory activity uh, by, law, by ICE and Border Patrol and law enforcement uh, since uh, the Trump administration came into power. Um, so a little bit around our report. So what are we saying when we say retaliation um, by ICE or Border Patrol? Well, retaliation can take many forms. Um, some of the ones that maybe you've heard about in the news are arrest, detention, uh, deportation. So for example, uh, on this slide, we have a poster from the Free Alejandra campaign. This was an activist organizer uh, originally based out of uh, Arizona and then in the DMV area who went to a protest at Farmville Detention Center, only a couple hundred miles away. Uh, this is where many of the Maryland, DC, uh, and Virginia immigrants go to be detained and then deported. Uh, she traveled there along with many other immigrant rights protesters to protest the conditions at Farmville and happened to be the unlucky one on the blowhorn that day in front of uh, the detention center. And because of how loud her voice, literally how loud her voice was on the blown horn, she was targeted by the local jail um, and ICE officials, DHS officials at the jail uh, for arrest uh, and then eventually uh, detention. And only out of protest, again, by community members who rallied at her immigration court bail hearing, which she actually released after uh, a couple of months in detention. Um, it also is the example of our client, uh, Maru Mora, who was a known, well-known activist in uh, Tacoma, Washington, who would regularly protest outside of the Northwest Detention Center, one of the biggest detention facilities on the West Coast. Um, and uh, shortly uh, after the Trump administration came into power, uh, she was put into proceedings and literally her actual arrest narrative by an ICE agent noted that she uh, had come to his attention through press articles and the office knew her as a quote, anti-ICE protester and advocate for Latinos. Um, so this is a lot of the way that ICE retaliates against individuals through the targeting of uh, immigration rights organizations or organizers through arrest detention um, and eventual deportation to silence their protesting and organizing. Um, another category is uh, modification in prison conditions. Um, it might come to some of y'all as a surprise, but uh, there's a very large immigration detention uh, system in the United States. A lot of the conditions are horrific, and naturally, individuals who are detained in those uh, conditions uh, want to assert and change the conditions of their confinement. And so individuals may go on hunger strike, they may go on protests um, in the detention facility, they might file civil rights complaints. 
right, with DHS oversight uh, offices like OCRCL or OIG, and routinely they're, they're met with uh, modifications and retaliatory ones around their conditions of confinement. Um, you know, routine stories of individuals being placed in solitary confinement or the SHU um, because they interviewed with uh, a DHS a civil rights division official, um, had filed complaints, um, and this is fairly routine um, as individuals try to organize in detention facilities. And the last one, um, which will be the remainder of my presentation, is on surveillance. Right. This is a huge tactic of DHS and the component agencies. We're talking surveillance of individual organizers, um, infiltration and surveillance of the organizations themselves, um, intimidation and surveillance of family members. And again, um, the, the goal of this type of surveillance is really to enact fear in these organizations, intimidate, um, and sometimes locate individuals uh, for arrest, detention, and deportation. Um, just a quick example of how that's happened in uh, Maru's case. Uh, you can see here, this is an uh, email that we obtained through FOIA litigation, sort of the, the company ICE field office chit chat amongst the, the ICE field office director and deputy dir director leadership. Um, and they you know, paint Maru as this sort of uh, problematic activist. You know, the specific individual who was behind the hunger strikes, um, I think, unwittingly uh, uh, over-exaggerating her, her um, contributions, but you know, every other one since then, um, and continuous, continually tries to foster hunger strikes and protests. Again, these are First Amendment protected activities, um, both inside and outside the facility. And you can see at the uh, end of this paragraph, placing her into deportation proceedings might actually take away some of her, quote, clout claiming unity by fear of the unknown. And shortly thereafter, about two weeks after, Maru was placed into deportation proceedings. So since this is a conference on surveillance, um, we wanted to break down and highlight a couple of the ways that ICE and CBP conducts surveillance on organizers and organizations. Um, so this is by no means a comprehensive list um, of the tactics that they employ and really encourage folks to look at our report uh, to see uh, just how uh, many diverse tactics they use to intimidate uh, and chill organizing. And so the first one that we want to lift up is the level of human surveillance. I think sometimes during surveillance tech conferences we talk about like the flashy facial recognition or a license plate reader, algorithmic type surveillance. At the end of the day, what's been, uh, I think the most frightening for individuals are the law enforcement agents, um, ICE agents that people have found at their protests um, or surveilled them personally um, at meetings. And so um, you'll find in our report, uh, the discovery that came out in the migrant justice case um, in Vermont where Border Patrol and ICE actually uh, recruited confidential informants um, to infiltrate Migrant Justice's membership meetings and actually produced intelligent, multiple intelligence reports about their activities. Um, and uh, in the revelation of this infiltration, 
you know, caused the, um, the chilling of these membership meetings where people were so afraid of the ICE, the high level of ICE and Border Patrol uh, surveillance that they did not attend these meetings. Um, the other category is social media surveillance. This is by far one of the largest tactics that ICE uses at pro protests, um, on protesters. Um, one of the big contracts that ICE has is a company called um, uh, Ghost Oak, uh, which contracted uh, in 2018 uh, for a $45 million uh, agreement. Uh, the other company that ICE has been known to use is Babel, Locate X, which is a company that sh uh, it is able to sell a program that not, not only, uh, you know, uh, locates an individual's social media post, but an estimate or geolocation of where they posted that social media post. Um, and lastly, uh, the category of data brokers. I think Senator Wyden talked a little bit about this earlier uh, in the day, um, but these are, uh, quote, you know, the shady middlemen who buy uh, private and government data and resell it, uh, such as to private entities, PIs, um, and law enforcement, including ICE. So in the ICE sector or the DHS sector, the most well-known ones are LexisNexis, uh, Thomson Reuters, huge resellers to ICE. At a, and it's important to understand the sheer scale of these data sets. Um, we're talking about cell phone location data, uh, cell phone subscriber addresses, uh, driver license data, um, and utilities uh, data, uh, although uh, thanks to the work of Senator Wyden, Mijente, Just Futures, and a number of other tech and immigrant rights groups, we were able to push back on that, the selling of that uh, type of data. Um, so a few examples from our report around how this has happened uh, to the immigrant rights organizations. So at the top of the slide is an actual uh, intelligence report from the Vermont Border Patrol sector on migrant justice. Um, I know there's not much time left in my presentation, uh, but you can see from the first paragraph of that intelligence report that the Border Patrol, who's at the northern border, um, you know, is wasting their time on not just surveilling migrant justice, but several colleges in the sector area of responsibility and noted that they contain liberal viewpoints towards immigration. And that in recent years, specifically the U University of Vermont in Burlington um, has become, quote, one of the primary supporters of migrant justice. So very extreme detailed surveillance um, and wide casting surveillance um, in the community around the expression of um, you know, what they would perceive as anti-ICE uh, speech. Um, also goes into very uh, good detail about the migrant justice activities, the fact that they are in active organizing uh, around labor issues, around farm workers' rights uh, with ice cream giant in Vermont, Ben and Jerry's. Um, another uh, uh, screenshot we have here on the lower left uh, is the clear uh, Thomson Reuters uh, query uh, for our client Maru. So before uh, Maru was placed into proceedings, the ICE Seattle field office conducted a query on the data broker Thomson Reuters clear database. Um, and as you can see, just the level of 
data sets um, and inquiries that they were able to get on Maru. Um, so things like utility services, um, you know, the relatives, associates, uh, current address, phone listings, uh, corporate filings, uh, properties. The amount of uh, data, you know, Maru uh, often talks about that she got like 10, you know, pages and pages of data kind of listing sort of all of her life, the places that she's lived, the relatives and networks um, that she has. So incredibly invasive activities um, and powerful tools just on this data broker that ICE employs. Um, and lastly, social media surveillance. So um, with grassroots leadership, uh, there was a intelligence, intelligence division of the ICE San Antonio uh, field office and they were constantly querying uh, the social media of grassroots leadership, including their individual um, organizers. So this is a uh, Facebook printout of one of the organizers that uh, the Icefield office was passing around uh, the office. So what can we do in conclusion? Um, these are massive agencies with tons of money. Um, you know, using and employing tech and surveillance tools, um, as our past panelists have talked about, that seem entirely unregulated. Um, I think it can feel like a conversation in para paranoia rather than a conversation of, you know, what can we do to empower ourselves to push back? Um, so concretely, our community groups um, and immigrant organizations that participated um, in this report have a few demands. One is, you know, advocate. We can all collectively advocate for this new DHS administration um, to pass guidances, what we call in the immigration sphere, prosecutorial discretion policies um, that prohibit ICE agents from retaliating uh, against uh, ICE uh, immigration um, uh, organizations um, and ICE protests. Um, preventing agents from the deporting the people that they just don't like because uh, they're engaging in speech that criticizes uh, their activities. Um, on the surveillance sector, there's tons of regulations that we could be passing to uh, address you know, things like facial recognition, social media monitoring, data brokers, and looking to the FTC, CFPB, FCC for guidance. Um, in terms of legislation, we can think about you know, what could we do beyond the Fourth Amendment is not for sale act. Incredible, incredibly a good start. Um, it plugs some of the holes as it relates to SIGINT intelligence, but it doesn't address utilities, essential services, DMV data, social media monitoring. And lastly, I, I hope uh, Cato Institute will appreciate, um, we can also reduce DHS funding <laughs> um, and really re-envision what this agency is supposed to be. Um, and lastly, to the organizers um, and civil rights lawyers uh, out there watching, we can also protest. We can also uh, defend people who then are retali retali retaliated inevitably um, because of their First Amendment activity. Um, so with that, I will conclude and hand it back to Julian.